This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Good morning. It's coming up to uh, nearly two minutes past nine. You're tuned to 102.7 3RRR. Time for this week's edition of Radio Marinara. My name is Bron Burton. I'm Dr Beach. And? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm Dr Surf. I've because, come back. Because we said we missed him and we I know. Love him. It's it so sounded nice to have so him back. plaintive and sad and I thought... Fancy. <laughs> Look, I will say, and, and I'll... I'll Go on the record here that I'm not a fancy because I will come back from time to time. Yes, you did. You did say that at the and end I'm of not, last year. I'm not going to be taken to the A Triple C like he did, <laughs> or was. We uh, we we thought we'd better respond to the pounding down of the doors by Triple R. Well, Radio Marinara fans in particular saying we want Doctor Surf, we want Doctor Surf. So we've managed to lure you back. Mm. Yeah, and what a pleasure it is to have you here. I came up on a day of good surf. So I'm I'm still committed. But that's all right. <laughs> it's always another day. But the large sums of money we dangled in front of your I face, know. that was the attractive <laughs> thing, wasn't it? I know. Well, it was either that or watch Chappelle Corby fly home live on television. Gee, thanks, Channel 7. You know? It's, anything could happen. So they have to have it live on air. Hey, Nerida. <laughs> Good morning. And you didn't even get to see her. No. Aren't we lucky to have her back in the country? <laughs> I bet the government would be pretty happy about it. <laughs> Takes the pressure off them. Well, this is the show about all things wet and salty. It is. <laughs> and um, and boogie bags aside, boogie board bags aside, we're going to firstly thank Tim very much for Vital Bits and thank you, Andrew Minga, for Soulful Bits. I did enjoy that this morning. What a lovely little segment that is at 8 o'clock. Um, on today's program, Dr Beach. 
Uh, yeah, I'm doing a lab. I'm doing a couple of papers. I'm going to do one on an iron dumping ocean experiment, which sparks controversy. And thanks to our roving marinara researcher for alerting me to that article. Um, we have another one, which I'm going to attempt to get back to, and that is on the oldest red alga, which goes back to about 1.6 billion years. We've been trying to talk about that for a couple of weeks, but various things have gotten away. So I'm going to do it today. Fantastic. Uh, then, um, Dr. Surf, we're going to hit you up for a surf report and a wetsuit report, I believe, you've brought in. Yeah, the wetsuit review for 2017. Right. Am I allowed to mention um, company names? Uh, um, as long as it's not going <laughs> to lead to any litigation. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it's all positive. Yeah. No, I think we, we do reviews of things here on this station. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, I'll mainly be talking about what... Not not generic um, names, mm. but but what's the difference between a back zip and a chest zip, and okay. what's the difference between a three two and a four three, right. and a five four, and do you need booties and all that sort of general stuff? And which one's better in your opinion, and all that kind of stuff? I know, yeah, yeah, I have a very strong opinion on that. Very good. Anyway, and I'll be doing that. Good. I just like to send a cheerio to all my fans down at Point Leo, all <laughs> all two of them. <laughs> 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 this will be down at Trigger Brothers. Yeah, well, next door. <laughs> Tracy Hutchison's gone out surfing with them. I know. Have you I was seen there. her down there? Were you there at the time? Yeah. There you go. That surf is terrible, but she had fun. Was she good? Did she get up? Yeah. Very good. I'm who's, not surprised. Who's Tracy Hutchison? <gasps> Nana Hutch. <laughs> is that what she calls herself? No, Ch that's that's. This is a bit of a history of Triple R in the old days. Right. And she's back on air. Yeah. When, yes. when she she's used doing to do Sunday's lunch, lunch. Yeah, she used to do a football segment yep. with Sammy Lane. Sammy Lane called her Nana Hutch. Oh, did she? <laughs> <laughs> did he, sorry. Yeah. She. She, yes, yeah. she. And Sam's now gone on to bigger and better things, so it just goes to show I'm, I'm still waiting for my bigger and better things in the media department, but, you know. It'll come. All things, all things. You still have an answer. Tracy my question. had the show. Tracy had the uh, the talk show on whatever morning it is. Was it, be, it before Michelle Bennett with Spoke? Uh, yeah. Okay. So obviously um, not. So she's been around for ages. Tracy was morning. around for ages. She was actually the she program, program manager. manager at one stage, Correct. and she worked at ABC. And she's now on three. RM. Uh, yes, one the, of the, the one of the PP. PP. stations. RPP. Yeah. yeah, the one in Peninsula. Yeah, we only need to lure her away from the rock dogs, and she'd be the perfect package, wouldn't she? Really? Yeah, yeah. That's always the problem. Well, anyway, th <laughs> thank you for illuminating me. <laughs> and then um, uh, we are going to hopefully be speaking with Tim O'Hara. If you heard the show two weeks ago, uh, Tim is chief scientist um, from Museum Victoria leading uh, an expedition of uh, 40 scientists aboard the CSIRO marine research vessel, The Investigator. And they're about halfway through their journey from Launceston to Brisbane, having a look at what is in the deep oceans along the, I gather it's the continental shelf. We yeah, just we off the continental shelf. Yeah, yeah we had Tim in a couple of weeks ago and we're getting a live cross. Yeah, so he's going to ring us via sat-nav, so yeah. let's all cross fingers that that works because we can't contact him, we're waiting for him to contact us. So that'll be about 9.30. Brilliant. Uh, this is the alcohol-free voyage. That's you, right. You heard. With, with, with Russians on board. <laughs> yes, I'm just wondering what the fight count's going to be. But <laughs> I'm wondering whether anything's been smuggled in, but we they can really, ask it, him that. That'd be a fantastic um, live TV show. 
be better than oh, those reality ones. show yeah. like a Big Brother with yeah. scientists, like like those stupid ones when they maroon people on islands. This would be far more interesting because it'd have a science content too. I agree. I reckon it would be good. What do you say that they're all going to flip out because they don't have booze? So yeah. it's going to be like cage, cage fighting <laughs> yeah. on water. Yeah. If if you're used to that social crutch and it's taken away, hell. Hell breaks loose. Well, maybe they would. Not. They all knew that before they got on board, though. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't sign out if you had a problem. <laughs> no. Anyway, we can ask him. These are the big questions. The big questions. The not big what questions they're finding. Like. And, then, and then we have... It's a n- the social experiment. Um, and then, yes, sorry. To, to wrap up the show, we've got another old friend coming back, Jeff Maynard. Yep. Is going to do one of his beautiful segments for us. He and today, do we have any clues? Yeah, we do. He sent me... I asked him. He sent me a text. He said he's got the perfect storm. Sunken Nazi gold, helmet diving and Black Pearl. Oh. Uh, Black Pearl is the ship. So... Fantastic. Yeah. I, I could have Googled, but I chose not to. I thought, we'll just see how we go. Hey, who's got the weather? Uh, I have the weather. But before I get on to that, I went to Malakuta last weekend and had a pretty nice time. And the break, the surf break off Bastion Point, still looking pretty good. There were people out there surfing, but the bit that they've put in looks kind of, indeed, kind of ugly. And there is sand moving around a mm. little bit too much, as the engineers predicted, but they didn't do it properly. So if you're wondering what we're talking about, we covered this issue quite extensively yeah. um, when it was running hot. And it was the uh, development of a big break wall at Bastion Point, which is at the v- very far, what would it be? I'm thinking of um, Southern End. Of, of the bay that sort of sweeps around around Malakuta, um, um, hugely controversial, and so you went down to have a look at it firsthand. Well, yes, we're done. That's not why we went down. We were down there and we had a look at it, and surf still all right. But you know, it, that was a concern it, that the that, that was one the of the break concerns. Yeah, impact on the break. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that there would be massive shifts of sand, and the massive shifts of sand are indeed happening. Yeah, and the maintenance dredging that was going to be required. Yes, and how much that exactly. was then going to be. Um, uh, felt by ratepayers in Mallacoota and yep. and so on. We should catch up on that at some point too. Anyway. Uh, weather. Cloudy, very high, 90% chance of showers, decreasing to slight, 30% chance after dawn. Yeah, there was a bit of rain last night and there's going to be a little bit more this afternoon. Um, yeah, in the early afternoon. Local hail and thunder, they're saying. Winds north 25 to 30k, turning west 20 to 30 <laughs> All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Nine to 14 degrees I'm reading out here, but according to Dr Surf, it's wrong. It's northwest. All right, okay, okay. That, so they've mucked it up, but that just means the surf's really good. Cool. Tomorrow's going to be 7 to 15 degrees, possible morning shower. Tuesday, local hail and thunder. It's looking black, 14 degrees, minimum of 9. Wednesday, 7 to 15, possible shower. Thursday, partly cloudy, 6 to 15. And if you are heading out on the water with the tides at Point Lonsdale... It was a low tide at 6.48am and it's going to be a high tide at around 2. Surf report. Good. From really the man. good. We've had a couple of weeks of devil winds easterlies. Really mm. frustrating, but good working weather. And But now it's changed back to the familiar pattern of west-northwest. Good swell. It's going to start picking up. It's been good the last few days. And today I just had a quick look. It looks really good down the Torquay region and the swell's going to be picking up. So if you're good... And you know how to paddle, head on head on down there, but be careful. Mm. So the next few days are looking good too. So it's happy days. Excellent. Season started, as my friends say. The gates to the fun park are open again. <laughs> <laughs> Dr I, Beach. I'd like to move from that to the oldest red algal, red algal fossil known. Down the beach you go down, you see red seaweeds, you see brown ones, you see green ones. 
red ones. We have lots of beautiful red seaweeds in the southern part of Australia. And seaweeds are what we call eukaryotes. So we are eukaryotes as well. There are two main groups of life. There's the things that we can group into things called the bacteria and the archaea, so the tiny little bugs that you need things to look at under the microscope. And then there are the bigger cells, which we can call eukaryotes. Eukaryotes, we believe, arose around somewhere around 2 billion years ago, but nobody's too sure, mainly because there aren't any fossils around. But mm-hmm. just to go back, a eukaryote is something which has, some people might be aware of, a nucleus where DNA is in the middle of the cell. So quite complex organisms. For the first couple of billion years of life and life on Earth started, we believe, around 4 billion years ago. So just a couple of important dates. Origin of the universe. So we know when the origin of the universe, that was around 13.8 billion years ago. Our Earth started with the solar system around four and a half billion years ago, 4.6. And we believe that life on Earth started around four billion years. When eukaryotes arose, so the complex organisms which gave rise to things like plants, us, animals, and also the seaweeds, we thought that that happened around two billion years ago. Not much fossil evidence. And now these people, this Swedish group, published a paper in PLOS Biology a couple of months ago showing for the first time that they can see in central India, in these deposits in central India, seaweeds, clear evidence of these red seaweeds Mm. in rocks, which are 1.6 billion years old. Now, this is a pretty big deal because it pushes back the first fossil evidence we have for this explosion of life by about 400 million years. Mm. So earlier we thought it was 1.2 billion years and now it's back to 1.6 billion years. So that is telling us that perhaps the origin of eukaryotic cells, the organisms which gave to rise, rise to us, plants, seaweeds, all those other things, happened quite significantly earlier. So probably before 2 billion years. How do we know when we're looking at it? That, that it's a red seaweed. And that it's 1.6 billion years old. Okay, we know that the rock, so the rock that these things are embedded in is 1.6 billion years. That's done with various types of dating. In what they found preserved beautifully in these rocks was a whole lot of what we call algal biomats, where there are filamentous cyanobacteria or blue-green algae, which are bacteria, so that older group. They've been doing photosynthesis on Earth, we know, for probably around three and a half billion years. But interspersed in those cyanobacterial threads were these threads of what really look like red seaweeds. And there are certain features when you look at the fine structure, at the details of these things under microscopes, which tell you that they are full-on eukaryotes, that they are red seaweeds and that they're not the cyanobacteria. And Dr. Surf, you'll remember these from your undergraduate <laughs> days. They're pit connections, they're called. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this, this was like bingo. You know, we've got these red seaweeds and they are in these really, really old rocks. And indeed, it has been accepted into a very good journal with these fantastic pictures and lovely micrographs and have described three new genera showing that red seaweeds were around 1.6 billion years ago so if they were in existence it took them you know quite a big time a considerable amount of time to evolve then eukaryotes complex cells must have arose and arisen a considerable time before that mm. so were there brown algae around at that time were there brown oh, or green algae the reason i ask is that we were always taught obviously you can tell they're red algae because they're red. And there are certain pigments in there. Yeah. How do they know these are red? Uh, they know they're red because of, they've got the pit connections, oh, which you right. only find in red algae. Which I forgot about. Yeah, those ultra-structural <laughs> details. And so 
good question. If red algae were around then, did we have brown ones and green ones? Probably. And I don't want to go into it, but endosymbiosis and all these other things, which... I was just intrigued whether they could extract the, um, the pigments because you and I well remember a, a professor called Kingsley Rowan at Melbourne Uni. I was just talking with somebody about Kingsley the other Kingsley day. Kingsley was a, one of nature's great gentlemen and his, his um, speciality was pigments. And he used to have these bottles of the most awful um, substrates or solvents. And in order to tell which one they were, he'd just pull the top off and sniff them. <laughs> and I think over time Kingsley became a bit pickled because he lived a long, quite a long and hopefully happy life. Oh, he did, yeah. He lived and up to was about 90 and always had these amazing dark rings under his eyes. Oh, he's well, well loved. Dear Kingsley. A great man. Kingsley was interested in algae, which is one. <laughs> and one more very quick thing before we go. Mm-hmm. We might have talked on this show before. In fact, I know we have about iron, dun- iron dumping ocean exper- experiments in the ocean. This is where you seed the ocean with iron in the hope that you will stimulate the growth of phytoplankton of unicellular it's algae. I-R-O-N, not I-O-N. That's why iron... Iron. FE. Which particular I, uh, kind of iron? Iron sulphate. Okay. They dump in the ocean. Now, this has been around, this idea has been around for about 15 years. The controversy with this is that you don't want to go off and dump tonnes of iron into the ocean in the hope that it will stimulate phytoplankton, which indeed it will. But because that's a limiting nutrient in the ocean, that's why it does do that. And people want to have more phytoplankton for a number of reasons. Uh, they can pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and then drag that down to the seabed. So it's fixing more carbon. You know, we're putting lots of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere so we can take it back out it, send it down to the bottom. But it will, because phytoplankton are at the base of the food chain, it will provide a lot of food for fish. In Chile, there's a group there who are proposing to do this, but they um, and they are called the Oceanus Group, which is based in Vancouver, and they've been um, brought in at the behest of the Chilean government. Many scientists are up in arms about this, saying they should just... just not go ahead and do this because we don't know enough about the effects yet and one of the effects might be that when you stimulate the growth of phytoplankton you might get some baddies growing and there's a couple of ones which can produce very nasty toxins which will make everything that eats them sick and including everything up the food chain. How much iron would they have to dump in to get an effect? Uh, They want to dump in a couple of hundred tonnes. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Wedding review. I will do a wedding review. As you know, um, Bron, I tend to hang around a surf shop down at Point Leo. It's not a job. I just hang around and (laughs) I do things. And it's it's such fun. But one thing I really notice is that a lot of people come in, particularly this time of the year, looking for wetsuits and they don't know a lot about the different kinds. And I'm not talking about brands. I'm talking about different types that you can wear. So I thought I'd quickly go through what your options are if you're thinking of buying a wetsuit, and believe me, you need one now. It's getting, even the last two weeks, it feels a lot colder. So basically the first thing you're going to be asked is, are you going to be surfing? And first thing I'll say is this is surfing wetsuits, got nothing to do with diving. Mm -hmm. Diving wetsuits, as you know, are completely different. Are you going to be surfing right throughout the year? And if you are, then the the people that you're talking to are going to be throwing numbers at you, like 3-2 or 4-3, four, 4-5, four, four What does that mean? Well, that's all about the thickness of the neoprene. Mm-hmm. And basically, 3-2 means you've got 2 mil arms and 3 mil body, and a 4-3 is a 4 mil body and 3 mil arms. The arms are always a little bit thinner because you're paddling and you want freedom of movement. More flexibility. Yeah. Yep. So you're going to have to think, what do you want? Now, basically, if you're going to be surfing from here on, you're going to need a 4.3. Right. I don't care who you are. You're going to need a 4.3. Even 4 mil seems 
on the on the um Inside. Yes, thank you. Well, the wetsuits <laughs> these days are extremely good, and if you get a four-three, which is sealed, then you're in heaven. Okay. Basically, as long as you don't wee in it. For sealed. God's sake, do not wee in your sealed wetsuit. I'm getting an image of seals. No, no, no. They have this tape that go over the the seams. Okay. And it stops water going in. Right. You can get tapes that's on the outside of the wetsuit. You can get tapes that are on the inside of the wetsuit. But I think a sealed wetsuit this time of year is very important. So you should go for that, and you should go for a four-three. If you're surfing through winter, a three-two will get you through summer easily. Mm. But and and the next thing you'll see is some wetsuits have this fluffy woolly lining in, and people think, "Ooh, that's going to keep me not nice, you know, really warm." It's fluffy. Mm. Well, it's not for that. It's it's called this flash dry lining, and it's and it's supposed to um, dry quicker. Right. right. And that's important when it's four degrees and you're trying to get into your wet wetsuit, that's not very pleasant. This is for when you're having multiple surfs yeah. on one day, right? So you either do that or you have two wetsuits like me and you just alternate them. So you never have to. And believe you me, Bron, four degrees pulling a cold wetsuit up okay. over the family jewels is not a pleasant experience, but anyway. Well, um, and we diving, all I'm sure. We like little girls. <laughs> I'm sure our divers out there can relate to this as well. So... Flash dry lining is a good idea. It's not mandatory. The next thing you're going to be confronted with are zips. Um, some have back zips, some have chest zips. What's the difference? Basically, a back zip, it's easier to get into and out of, but the zip's a lot longer, so zips leak water, so you're going to be a bit colder. I actually find uh, chest zips are smaller. They're about half the length, and they just go across the, the chest. Some of them are on an angle. Oh, right. So they're not... Right up and down no, the torso? No, they're, they're, they're more horizontal. Right. And they're probably, I don't know what that is, six inches. Okay. Um, the the wetsuits are harder to get into. Um, there's actually, I can remember trying on about four or five wetsuits last year and I literally had to go home and have a nana nap because it was like a yoga <laughs> session. And it is hard. There's a knack to getting into these chest zips, especially if they're four threes. You've got to put your right arm in first. It's like the hokey pokey and then your left arm. Yeah. And then you've got to flip the flap over. But they are much warmer. They, they do not leak at all. Be careful, though, that you get a strong chest zip, not a weak one. Dr. Beach? I have a question. Chest zip. I'm imagining somebody who's using this for surfing, lying on the board, paddling, and they've got this zip on no, their no, chest. No, no, no. It's which right is- up high. Right. So, so you're supposed to be arching your back so you can see where you're going and, and it doesn't hit the board at all. Also, they've got quite good padded flaps over the top so you, you basically can't see them. Okie dokie. Continue. Um, there is another alternative, more in summer wetsuits, and they're called no-zips. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, they are and presumably they have no zips. They have no zips. Um, there's a couple of problems with them, the first one being that you really have to be very, very lithe to get into them. So the youngsters out there tend to wear them, not old <laughs> fellas. And the other thing, you have to be very careful with no zips because there's a drawstring you have to pull once you're in them to close them off. If you don't, they fill full of water. And I have talked to people, very experienced surfers, who, whose wetsuit, no zip wetsuit is filled up with water and they've been trapped at the bottom. They couldn't get up. Because they've forgotten about the drawstring. Because they the forgot string. to pull the drawstring. So be careful with no zips. My, I would definitely recommend chest zips. So that's what you're going to have in the wetsuits. From here on in, you're going to need more than just a wetsuit. You're going to need booties. You're going to need... Gloves? 
and gloves, and we'll talk about whether you need them or not. You definitely need booties from here on in. What about a hood? Um, I would suggest... It depends how sooky you are, how much you like... <laughs> I'm sooky. I'm sooky. Uh, how much you like neoprene. Booties, um, from this point onwards, I would suggest three mil booties. Two mil booties are called reef booties, and they don't come... They don't have an ankle bit, and they're fine if you go to Bali, which is really what they're designed for, for tropical regions so you don't cut your feet, but they're a bit cold. If you've, you've got to scrape out over rocky reefs yeah, or something you'll to get, get too break. cold in them now. So go for a full three mil booty. They're all different types. They'll go, they'll go right up to five mil, six mil. Well, you should work in a wetsuit shop or a I, surf shop or something and advise people. <laughs> I kind of do. And, look, there are lots of different times. There, there are split toes and there are those that are not. I would definitely, if you're a... a I won't nearly say professional. If you're a proficient surfer, you need split toe because otherwise you, your foot sort of rolls around in the booties. The other thing I'd recommend is that if your foot size is 10, I'd go for a, a booty that's 10. Some people will say, no, you should go for an 11, but I've tried that and I actually felt like Ronald McDonald. I had these huge boot things on that... I always get this beautiful image of you. flipped around and... Hey, anyway. surf. Mm-hmm. I reckon we've got a, um, a scientist on the line from... Um a boat. Yes, and he's on oh. a sat-nav phone. And ah, that gets Now, two weeks ago on this program, Dr Beach and I spoke with Museum Victoria's chief scientist, Dr Tim O'Hara, who is about to embark upon a deep-sea exploration voyage called Sampling the Abyss aboard the CSIRO's marine research vessel, The Investigator. Tim and his crew of 40 scientists are now halfway through their research trip, checking out the deep seas from Launceston to Brisbane. Where are they now? Have they been found? Has anyone got any sleep yet? Has there been... Been a mutiny. To tell us all about it, we're very pleased, I hope, to welcome back to Triple R, Tim O'Hara. Good morning, Tim. Hello, Bron. How are you? <laughs> well, thanks. Yay. How are you? We're all cheering. <laughs> Nerida and Kent are working absolute magic getting you lined up and you've yep. called in and I gather we had to switch lines, so it's all it's all happening. Yep. Yep. How's it going? Oh, it's fantastic. It's a beautiful sunny day. We're off Jarvis Bay at the moment. Um, and the seas are calm and the albatrosses are singing and, and life's good. Now, since we had you on, I've been um, doing a little bit of, uh, you know, online research. This vessel, the Investigator, it's absolutely, it's, it's magnificent. Um, maybe for listeners who missed a couple of weeks ago, can you describe the vessel that you're actually on? Because it's not a little tinny, sure. is it? No, it's not a tinny. It's 94 metres long, I think, roundabouts, and it's a, about nine storeys high. And uh, it is a magnificent-looking ship. It's got a, a, a sort of a... Uh, most of the, the cabins and the mess and stuff is in the middle, so it's a classic-looking patrol boats kind of boat. And it's got all these kind of golf balls, all these high-tech, sort of sophisticated radar on the roof. Um, so, yeah, it looks great. Now, you've got 40 scientists on board, as I mentioned. Um, they're representing 14 different research institutions coming from eight different countries, or seven, seven, seven or eight countries. And when you were on two weeks ago, we were kind of speculating that you might have, like, a, a deep-sea Eurovision happening on board. How, <laughs> how's, it, how's it been travelling? Because you're also operating in 12-hour shifts, aren't you? How, how's that been we working are. out? Well, I work the afternoon shifts, so I get up... Uh, I'm getting up really early for you guys. I hope you realise that. <laughs> Thank you. Kind of sacrifice here. <laughs> um, but normally my shift is from 2pm to 2am. Um, so I got up yesterday and just as a, a sample was coming on board and uh, we brought up half a tonne of mud, really. So the entire afternoon I had 20 people in a uh, sort of a conga line 
taking tubs of mud and, and sifting through it carefully. But it was a nice afternoon, I have to say, and there was lots of water splashing everywhere and people were in a very good mood. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's delightful. It hasn't always been like that. We've had quite rough seas and we've been tossed around and people have been feeling a bit ordinary. But, uh, yeah, it's great today. Tim, Dr. Beach here. Um, any, any pearls that you want? Well, uh, pearls, I guess, but, but what, what, what's the highlight that you've brought up so far? Uh, we've put up a lot of great animals, I mean, tripod fishes and you know, um, lizard fishes. And we've got this guy on board in particular who studies bioluminescence, and he's got the capacity to take a lot of photos in with different filters on, so he's getting great iridescence and bioluminescent photos. So, you know, we've got sea spiders that are glowing. We've got uh, lots of uh, deep-sea sea cucumbers and lots of other corals that, that, that just light up in these spectacular ways. Um, so I think that's one of the highlights so far. Fantastic. And you were um, mentioning when you were in a couple of weeks ago there's sort of great excitement about the possibility of finding new species. Have you found anything new? Yeah, quite a few. You know, um, uh, we've got a lot of uh, world-class taxonomists on board and they know their animals really well and they just look at it and go, whoa, I've never seen anything like this before. So uh, new genuses and uh, wow. genera should be and, and uh, yeah, things like that. So, it's yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um and you're off. You're off Jervis Bay at the moment. You're about halfway yep. through the trip. Um, what yep. are you? What are you expecting to see between here and Brisbane? A, a gradual change as we get into the north. Um, but that's the, the mysterious thing. So it's only about one degree down, right down the seafloor. We've we've uh, been right down to four thousand eight hundred metres. Oh wow! When I say we. I, I mean our equipment has been right down to four thousand eight hundred metres. It takes hours to load to the seafloor. So there's a bit of sitting around at times. <clears throat> but you know it's a uh, um, it's down there is really cold and it's cold all the way up so one of the great kind of mysteries is is will it change across the Australian continent I mean will it the north uh, northern animals be different from the southern animals they certainly are in shallow water and they are right down to 1500 meters 1500 meters but um, you know we don't know about the really deep depth so it's kind of that's what we're, we're hoping to see a, a transition now, with all these different um, research institutions from these different countries, have, have, is it something that you've been learning along the way about, you know, anything interesting about particular types of marine science being done in different countries by different research institutions? I, I guess you have an idea before they've come on board, but anything that's really sort of stood out for you? Um, well, we've got uh, one postdoc from Vienna and she st studies forams. Uh, so a postdoc is like a, the first job you get after doing a PhD. And, uh, yeah, and they're spectacular. They're remarkable. These little, uh, they're only one cell, but they can be really quite big. And they have all these processes that come out and grab little bits of detritus and phytoplankton and stuff and pull them in. You know, they're sort of like a, an amoeba, an amoeba with a, a, an armoured skeleton, I suppose, is the best way to think of it. And they're, they're extraordinary. And, and certainly I've seen nothing like that before. You know, it needed someone like that to come on board, you know, to really highlight it. And we've got some great cameras so we can kind of capture that in some detail. Dr Beach? So those four amps, they're, they're, they're taken from the plankton. So you're, t you're taking samples from the not only the seabed down at around, you know, four or five K sometimes, but you're also taking samples <laughs> as you're coming back up through the water column at different depths. Uh, no, no, we're um, targeting just the seafloor and the sea surface. So we've got a couple of programs looking at the sea surface and we're looking at um, uh, some planktonic uh, shells that float around, so we're looking at that. And we're also looking for microplastics in the water as well. So we're doing surveys to see just how much rubbish there is out there. 
And on that, we had an interesting day yesterday because we're now in a major shipping lane, and this has been a shipping lane for 200 years, right? And at the bottom is covered in stones. And I thought nothing of it. I thought, these are light stones. It looks like it comes out of a volcano or something. But someone actually told me this is debris from old steamships, right? So when they um, boil the water, <coughs> excuse me, using coal, uh, at the end of the process, when they, they finished burning the coal, there was all this stuff called clinker that, that sort of uh, was adhering to all the boilers. And they used to break that off, and it was kind of stone-like, and then just toss it overboard. Oh, wow. People was covered with this stuff. You know, so we've got lumps of coal and clinker, you know, uh, in a bun. It's really quite amazing. Really. Oh, and do you I mean, find... I don't think it's doing the animals any harm, because it's a bit of substrate for animals that love a, a hard substrate, but... You know, it just shows you the, uh, the scale of human uh, impact on the ocean. Yeah, that's right. So it's effectively a type of artificial reef, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Wow. I mean, right. it's not big enough to build up like a reef. It's just a stone, say, every 10 centimetres. Uh, but still, it's significant. And, you know, when you're way out here and got such a vast area... <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Um, big question we were talking about before, um, Tim, about the fact that this is a dry trip and there is no alcohol on board. That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> we're all frantic yeah, here yeah. thinking about it. Have you found any yeah, people... any sneaky flasks being smuggled in or, you know, any research oh. ice that's turned out to be blocks of vodka or...? That, that's a keelhaul offence, you know. <laughs> Anyone's caught with... Uh... Yeah, they're, they're lowered by the crane. We can't sort of, you know, throw them on the plank anymore. That's the HNS issues with that. But certainly lowering someone on the on the crane over the side for keel haul is perfectly acceptable. No, I'm joking. Um, no, no, everyone's being great, actually. No, you've got to adhere to the rules. It's just dangerous, you know. If you're wandering around fish, you trip over something in the corridor and, you know, it just undoubtedly would end up in an accident. So, But it's funny, you know, when you put in another social situation uh, like this and just no expectation of drinking, you actually kind of don't miss it which is surprising because I quite enjoy a glass of wine and a glass of beer. Um, but I haven't, I have to say, I haven't missed it at all. Yeah. Two weeks so far. This is like my May fast. <laughs> so, so any party nights or Stedford nights, people doing the, you know, their favourite sort of cabaret act or...? Uh, I haven't seen it so far, you know, but I'm only covering one shift, of course. But, um, you know, after sort of shoveling mud... For 12 hours, you kind of really don't feel up to sort of panning it. No, you're ready to go and have a rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have been doing talks every day. That's kind of very sciencey and nerdy, I know, but there's some fascinating talks about what people are up to. So that's kind of cool. Brilliant. Hey, Tim, we're going to move on, but we're really super keen to get you back in here when you get back. So you've got a couple of weeks to go. You're landing in Brisbane. I gather you'll make up for your lost party time once you once you kind of get to yeah, Bris Vegas. Uh, it's, it's called the Retox. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Very good. All right. So um, after you okay. get back and you get settled in Melbourne, we'd love to have you in studio and um, and maybe bring some of your local scientists because we've got some local scientists on board with you too, don't we? Sure. We do. We yeah. Do. Okay. I'd love to do that. Yeah, that'd be wonderful. All right. Well, safe journey and we'll catch up with you in a few weeks. Okay. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Bye. Tim. Bye. Tim O'Hara there on board the investigator. Somewhere off the, um, well, coast of Jarvis Bay. Yeah. Or Jarvis Bay. On the way to Brisbane. Beautiful day in the investigator. Yeah. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en 3 R. Hey, thanks, Nerida. Dr Surf. We were just discussing how current affair should be up at Brisbane when that ship docks because it's going to be mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> be like their conference dinner. <laughs> 
<laughs> the conference dinner that didn't happen. Yeah, all these no, these wild conference wild dinners. crazy dancing going on. Yeah, sixty people doing retox. Ooh. Anyway, I'm just going to finish off my witty wetty review. Nice and. Dr. Beach, you were asking about birdies. You do need birdies, three mil from here on in. Okay, I'll remember that. I'm sorry, but you do. You do need a hood from about June onwards because Mm -hmm. some people don't like them because they are a bit constricting and you can't move your neck around. And they make you look like a dork. Well, that's all right. Yeah. And and also you can't hear as well, but I love them. I love my hoodie. In fact, I've got a hoodie that's that's got a one mil rashie underneath, and so my whole wetsuit's sealed. I can duck dive and have no water come in. How does it work with the hoodie? You put the hoodie on first and then the wetty on, well, of yeah, course. Yeah, and you put the wetty on over it and you've, like got a, you've got a little flap that comes over and you pull your head through it and All then right. you do your zip up and you are sealed. Right. Smells delightful. But anyway, <laughs> the last thing is gloves. Um, you, I thought you didn't wear in your wetsuit anymore. Yeah, but it's still, it's, it's, it's the booties that smell. Right. And Ooh. I actually bought some booties last year that had a special something impregnated into them so you wouldn't get that smell. And it's not just me. Yeah. It's not just my stinky feet, it's everybody's. Because they never dry out. Can you booties. turn them inside out to dry? No. Right. They're like sand shoes. Oh, okay. So you can't. You stuff newspaper in And them? that stuff no, that... you just don't buy those. It doesn't matter. The dogs love it. <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> and does that anti foot smell stuff work? Yeah, it did. It, it did. did. It did. These, For a little while. these booties were five mil booties, though. They were, they were built in Europe, and I felt like I was surfing in, in footy boots, which wasn't that good. But anyway, the last thing, then, I do love these is gloves. Um, you'll need one to two millimetres thickness. You probably only need them for about four to six weeks in the depths of winter, but boy, do they make a difference. I used to get out of the water, and I could not. You know, my hands would be claws, so I used to have this special outfit that I wear when I was surfing with no buttons, no laces. I'd have elastic-sided boots and I'd wear skivvies and everything because you could, you could not do up buttons with claws. Mm. But now with these beautiful new gloves, it's all hunky-dory. So just to finish up, what to look for, look for big brands like O'Neill, Rip Curl, Quicksilver have got a good range now. If, if you're environmentally concerned because wetsuits are made from oil, Byproducts go for Patagonia. They have an oil-free range, very good range. Price, you're looking at seven hundred plus. Well, top of the line, four three sealed. That's a lot of money. How long is it going to last you? Um, it's going to a good one because you don't wear them all year round. You should get at least three or four years. Okay. Um, and so by about the grand final day, we're getting back into our second line ones because the water's starting to warm up. I guess if you're looking at, if you break that down, you're looking at a couple of hundred dollars a year if it's an activity that you do every single week that has other, apart from the board itself and a bit of petrol money getting you to and from, it's not really, it's not going to be an expensive exercise. Boards are cheaper than wetsuits now. And and physio expenses. But think of what you, you don't ever have to see a psychiatrist. Right, well, there you go. Because it keeps well, you but We won't move into that territory, but, um, yes, that's no, that's a good thing. So go to a proper shop, and my last thing, look for the zip. It's got to be a strong zip. Yes. There's a particular brand that do not have strong zips, and they're going to let you down. Okay. Go and ask your local um, expert. Wetsuit supplier. Thank you. Thanks, Dr Surf. Pleasure. What are you going to do next time you're coming in? I've got no idea. <laughs> I'm just drifting around in, in my pre-retirement haze. You realise that was my feeble attempt to lock you into another segment soon? Uh, no, I'll, I'll definitely come back for Radiothon. Excellent. And I hope all our listeners have subscribed to PBS this week. Yeah. Our, our megahertz cousins, brothers, sisters. You've got to come back before Community Cup. I'm going to Community Cup. Very good.
It's at Vic Park. It is. That's fantastic news, isn't it? Yeah. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch, and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3 Triple R. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. I'm ready to go. <laughs> the perfect storm. Well, it sort of started as a perfect storm. And not storm. the movie, The Perfect bit, Storm. No, no, it's a bit of wind and drizzle now because... Um, <laughs> No, it's, it's a journey, Brian, because you normally text me about Thursday and say, hey, Jeff, you're okay for Sunday, you know, any clues what you're doing? And I always try to look under control and text you back within a few minutes and say, sure. And um, when, when you text, I started feverishly Googling to see what I could find, and I found a movie called The Log of the Black Pearl from 1975, and I thought that's ideal because I think one of those sort of Caribbean piratey things is about to be released in the in the whatever soon, and... Um, I thought, oh, there you go, Black Pearl, and I had a quick look. Anyway, when I, I watched it, and it was a really bland, awful movie made in the <laughs> mid-'70s with actors just standing around reciting, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, OK, well, I've got to milk this. Um, when I hit Wikipedia, I actually found it was based on a 1947 radio play. Oh, right. And so I sort of dug a little deeper, and it was. It was based on a thing called The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, which was a radio series ran from 47 to 48 or something like that. And uh, anyway, digging away, as I do, diligently, uh, I found the radio play, so we're going to have a little listen to that. Cool. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week a complete entry in the log, and every week a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. I like radio drama because yeah. you actually have to describe things, whereas in television or film, if, if someone walks into the room, they just walk into the room, that's it. But in radio, you have to let the uh, listeners know what's going on. So in radio, you'll have a loud knock on the door and one of the characters will say, oh, look, there's Jack. Come in, Jack. And then you'll hear the footsteps. And then you'll hear the footsteps. And yep. Jack has to speak immediately, say, good morning, everybody. I found the body. So that everyone recognises Jack's voice. Yeah. And so um, ra radio is more dramatic in that sense. You have to work harder as a radio writer. And um, so all, all the characters in The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, and they're sailing around the Pacific. They're going out all around the islands in this this thing, having adventures each week and finding pirates and treasure and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and in this episode, the Scarlet Queen, with a whole lot of guys on it, have gone out to an island where a Chinese junk has sunk and it's got a lot of gold on it. So we've got to sort of describe what's going on there. The short side light appeared a few more times. But when the light of morning forced through the smoke cloud, the island was silent and foreboding. But that's all. We had breakfast and turned two on the most important day's work hey, of the voyage. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll rig the gear in the mainland to handle both the diving platform and the cargo gear. Nelson, you and Crowder fall two with me. We'll break out the diving gear and give the pump a try. Yes, sir. Platform's ready for you, Skipper. Go ahead. Rig me that watertight flood lamp, Red. There's no sun getting down there. I'll need light. It's as good as Rick, Skipper. at the rail and watched the big lamp sink slowly over the side, throwing a hazy green-tinted circle of light out into the clear water. Went down three fathoms, four fathoms, five fathoms, six. Went down seven fathoms, seven and a half, and I stopped it. Hold it! Maybe I should do something light! Maybe it's dead. 
The circle of light had settled over the outline of the junk. It was leaning about 30 degrees to port. It's after half and part of the main house crushed into a crevice in the coral. It's movable spars and rigging swinging uneasily in the current. It's there, Skipper. The whole blasted thing is there. So it's tense and exciting, I isn't love it? The you know? music. And, and one of the great things about radio plays is, of course, you've got to have all the sound effects. Yeah. So it would have been so much fun in the 40s and 50s to be in the studio and you've got all your little buckets and chains and there's someone in the background rattling this or dinging that or having their little symbols or you've got to speak into a bucket to get the echo and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It just, I think if you could pick a time when you could be a writer, it would be the golden age of radio. And you could you'd probably sit around with a cigarette in your hand and have the whole studio filled with smoke and be doing all these wonderful things. <laughs> Uh, a lot of fun. Anyway, um, Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, where are we up to? Yeah, we're going to put on our diving helmet now and go down. So we've got to put our head in the bucket for the radio. And we'll do that now. I hope. Get the suit ready. Hold on, get the suit on the platform. Crowd to stand by the winch. We're ready to go to work. In ten minutes, I'd gotten into the suit. The platform had lowered me below the surface. And I was left with no sound but the light bubbling of my escape valve and the faint throb of the air being pumped down to me. There was the first grip in the pit of the stomach that comes with adjusting yourself to a new element. Then the awareness of long shapes that darted into the light from the darkness and left again. Desire to look behind you when you can't. Then the platform reached the level on the sunken deck. Hold it, Brad. I stepped onto the sharp slant of the slippery deck. The passageway into the main house that held the treasure was blocked by a shoulder of coral. I made my way along its starboard side to a group of three portholes that let enough light in to show me the interior. I stood for a good minute, lost in the sight of what lay just a few feet away from me, lost in the thought of what had led up to this instant and what the four neatly stowed boxes meant in Kang's life, in Gallagher's life, and the crew's lives in my life. It's dramatic. One of the things... Now, Brian, you're a mum of, of youngish children. A great thing to do because you can get most of these radio plays, whether they're the American sort of Tarzani ones or the BBC Sherlock Holmeses and Agatha Christie's. Mm. Uh, you can get a lot of them on um, just on the internet, you know, free download. Is to get the kids, have a night where you turn the lights off, light some candles and just snuggle up and sit around and actually listen to radio plays because what it does is actually makes your imagination work yeah. rather than just sitting there watching TV uh, and, and of course when you're reading which is great but you've actually got to actively read. Here you can just sit back listen to a radio play, a great Sherlock Holmes mystery or something like that uh, and it really does fill up the imagination with all the sounds and things like that and it's fun to do with the kids when they're young Definitely they're and, actually, they're, and they're old enough now that they're not going to be up all night having nightmares too. And they're not going to have a night and, and they can sit around for, you know, most of the stories are like 30 minutes yeah. so it's a 30 minute radio play to do Are they easy enough to find? Oh, yeah, very they, easy. Just, yeah. just listen for old radio plays. There's, there's literally thousands of them on the and, and most of them are on um, even on YouTube, they just MPEG sort of downloads that you can just play. And there's heaps of them. Anyway, uh, we've gone down in our helmet to uh, find the treasure and do something else. Uh, so we better do whatever we're going to do. The crackle of the intercom circuit in Red's voice that brought me back to the fact that it had to be gotten out of the cabin now that we'd found it. Skipper, what's going on? You're not moving. Skipper, you all right? Sure, Red. I'm all right. What the hell are you doing? I'm looking at it, Red. It's here. Well, let's get it started up. I'll really believe it then. It's not as easy as that. The passageway is jammed shut. 
We can get it out in one load, but we'll have to cut in through the side. Well, you better come up, then. We'll get the deal ready. Yeah. And give me plenty of help with my line, Red. This deck doesn't like me. It's spongy with rock. Well, watch your step. Don't let anything happen now. Hello, Red. So it's dramatic, isn't it? You know, and, and does it end well? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the the island was haunted, but it was people um, who was trying to protect the the gold or something by leaving dead bodies laying around the um, the beach and scare off the locals and everything. So, oh yeah, it ends well because each week they go on, and each week he concludes by saying, you know, that's the voyage of the the, the log of the Scarlet Queen, and they actually think that. Starting and ending with the log of the Scarlet Queen, and this is Captain So and So in command. Uh, that's where they got the idea for Star Trek. They actually oh. took it on from there and said, you know, Star Trek mm. log voyage, whatever, came from this radio show. So, oh, I thought that was quite nostalgic because it reminded me of all the times I've had my head in a bucket. <laughs> In our youth, remember Dr. Beach? I, well, I, I don't remember any of those things. That's <laughs> because you're still experiencing it, Dr. Beach. <laughs> that, that echo. <laughs> That's uncalled for. <laughs> Jeff, that was fantastic. And, and, and this beautiful image of the dude speaking into a bucket. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? Well, that's that's the good thing about radio. You can kind of go anywhere in your imagination for the you know the cost of a bucket. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the new King Arthur movie took 175 oh. million to make, and it's just bombed. It's like well, no it, buckets. It should have done problem. on radio. Yeah. Test it out first. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Look forward to what's coming in next. Uh, me too. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Surf. That was a pleasure. Well, it was an absolute pleasure having you back. We look forward to having you in again. Thank you, Dr. Beach. Likewise, pleasure. A um, couple of quick uh, mess- apologies. One is to um, Jeff Noddle from the um, Preserve Western Port Action Group and also to Kath Haylock. Um, you've both left me messages. I haven't got back to either of you. I shall do that during the week and um, look forward to having you both on the program um, representing your various uh, areas. Um, next week's program, um, John and Anth are both going to be in the house. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing. We might catch up with Jeff, I think. Um, not you, Jeff. Jeff Noddle. About um, big announcement regarding um, Port Hastings, Port of Hastings, and uh, and Bay West as being the um, announced preferred alternative by current state government. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy. Um, we've already eaten into their time. Have a great Sunday, and we'll catch you next week. Bye for now. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.